Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wit and Wellness. I'm your host, Josh. And I am your co-host, Georgia. And today, we are going to be talking about mental health. Before we get into that, let's introduce ourselves and how how we came about to this and how we know each other. <laughs> so, how, how long have we been friends for? Oh, gosh. Since, I think since grade seven. Since grade seven. Um, we have very different upbringings and opinions, yeah. which I think will mould well to our audience. I agree. And so we were chatting one day and just about big life shit. And we felt that we have these different thoughts and opinions and beliefs. And we thought that, you know, if we are such good friends, but we have such different opinions, that would be really cool to why not fuck around, do a podcast. Put it on the internet. Put it, whack her on the internet. Absolutely. Why, what could go wrong? Nothing. <laughs> so let's dive into it. What's mental health mean to you, Georgia? I feel like if you would have asked me this a few years ago, I would have said mental health is like bipolar, schizophrenia, like those really, really scary diagnoses. Um, but if you got to ask me today, um, which you have, mental health to me is more about just like your psychological being, your um, processes and that form, how we think feel and act and I remember being an OT student um, a practice educator said to me well everyone has a mental health and I was like that's actually so true everyone does have a mental health because our mental health is our emotional social psychological well-being that depicts how we think feel and act and I feel like it depicts um, on how we're friends as well I don't know at all how we form and maintain friendships. Um, I feel like there are periods in my life where I haven't been a really good friend to other people. But if I take a look back at that period of time in my life, I was actually really struggling with my own mental health and managing that because when I was young, I didn't know how to manage it. So I guess that's why it's really important to me because everyone does have a mental health. They do. Yeah. What does... Mental health mean to you, Josh? Well, I'm glad you asked me that, Georgia, because a long time ago, I'm going to say about 10 years back, growing up, mental health for me was always soft. Don't be soft. That's what you got taught playing mm -hmm. football, hanging out with your friends, like the boys, and just, just general upbringing from yeah. like, you know, grandparents and things like that. It was just a different world. Yeah. But I think today the world has turned a corner a bit and started accepting the fact that you're right, we do all experience mental health. Um, and, you know, some people, it's harder for than others. So I think it's important yeah. to have conversations like this, which break down a little bit about what it is and how you can, I guess, some, some things that you can use to get through it a lot better. Absolutely. Do you feel like there's more availability in terms of like resources to help people get through and deal with mental health these days like how you were talking about before it used to be like you know don't be soft but now is there more resources available to support people i think the resources are definitely there i think they they also were there a lot longer ago but mm -hmm. i think it's now less taboo and yeah. um it's more accepted now you know like you're encouraged to go to talk to someone and Really understand what your feelings are Absolutely. and how they work. Because yeah. let's be real, 
when do you really learn about emotions yeah. and feelings in high school? Absolutely. I mean, this is taking me on... I'm having so many thoughts right now, but in the work that I do, the amount of uh, emotional regulation referrals that I get because children need to work on their emotional regulation because they are having these behaviours. So I guess part of my role is looking at these children that are having big behavioural outbursts um, but then it comes back to them not being able to manage their emotions. And it's so interesting for me because I know so many adults that cannot regulate their emotions. And how do we expect a child to regulate their emotions? But, I mean, that's just in the work that I do. But I'm pretty interested, you, you said before, about being not being soft. And I'm so interested in, like, growing up as a male, playing footy, that kind of stuff, how that has really, I guess, shaped your view of mental health. Well, yeah, I guess that's a good question because, you know, growing up playing football all the time, you'd get injuries and niggles and hits here and there and pretty much it was, yeah, just get up, walk it off. My dad had a great saying which um, stuck for me for a while that said if it's bleeding or it's poking out, then you can come off. <laughs> Otherwise, stay there, shut up and keep playing your role. But that wasn't him being aggressive or trying to force me into anything like that. That's just what he grew up with, and that's football mentality. And I think part of that is important, but I think off the field, you really need to work out and, you know, understand what's going on with your body, and that's, that's not just physically. It's, it's very mental as well because, you know, there's a lot of experiences that may traumatise you a little bit more than you realise, and um, you're only going to know when you dig for it. Totally agree. And I guess that is about finding finding your sweet spot, right? Because you want to push yourself in life. You want to push yourself so that you can work f for your goals. But it's also about allowing yourself to rest. I know that I fall into this trap of if my body is tired or if I want to sit down on the couch and just watch a movie, I think about all these other things that I should be doing. And so resting is really, really hard for me, but it's also something that is beneficial exactly. to rest. Yeah. But also resting my mind, right? So one of the things... So I've struggled with anxiety for... I don't really remember a lot of it in high school, but I do remember, I guess, being going into university and being early 20s, I remember struggling with my anxiety. But my anxiety is interesting. I don't really have, like, day-to-day -day anxiety. That are, like, what I call normal things. Like, people that I know worry about, like, money relationships, social anxiety. I do not have social anxiety. I do not worry about money. Like that's not where my anxiety comes from. I have, um, I have like phobias and I have like, um, panic disorder. So being in an airplane, I will, can have a panic attack. I have had a panic attack before, um, going in lifts, um, used to scare the shit out of me. But I have done a lot of exposure therapy, and so now going in a lift is fine for me. I also take medication every day, which I swear by. I, I tried to come off it recently, and I was so... I was really heightened, really snappy. It, I don't feel like I was a good partner. I don't feel like I was a good friend during that time. So I had a really good chat with it um, about being on medication with my partner, um, because his opinion is really important to me as well. And we both sort of, I mean, I decided that it would be beneficial for me because ultimately it's, it's my body, but he was very, very supportive. And he was like, 
you know, it's your body, you need to do whatever is right for you. But it's nice to have someone there, have that support network. And also a support network is highly beneficial for your mental health as well. Those people that you can lean on. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And I, you touched on something that I think is really important, which is exposure therapy. So if you could dive a little bit deeper into that, what is that? Yeah. So it's essentially where you... When your brain, like when you run away from something, so that's what I used to do. I used to avoid situations. So when you avoid things, it tells your brain that that fear of it is rational. Because me having a fear of elevators, it's irrational. It's not, it's not, it's not a rational thing. Um, and so when you avoid it, it tells your brain that that is rational, that fear is okay. So that's normal. Yeah. And then you want to, like your brain continues to feel that fear for it. Whereas you can actually create new neural pathways when you, like what I used to do is I used to be in a lift. I used to be like, say out loud, I'm in a lift, I'm safe, I'm okay. So your brain doesn't get that fire, that fight or flight firing response because that's what anxiety is it's that fight or flight response um where your body feels like it's in danger which is associated like lifts or like i'm super claustrophobic or like tunnels with um danger and so it it fires off this fight or flight response um and so for me i would be in a tunnel i'd be driving through a tunnel and i i would say to myself i'm in a tunnel i'm safe i'm okay I'm here, and so now I drive through a tunnel, I'm fine. I go on a lift, and I'm fine. Um, airplanes are difficult because it's not something that you do very often. Like, I believe that medicine and cognitive strategies both go hand in hand. So I took a little bit of Valium, um, but also saying to myself, creating those new neural pathways, like, I'm in an airplane, I'm safe, I'm okay. Um, there is actually nothing for me to be worried about. Like I'm, I'm okay. And it's almost, you can do these colors. I used to do these color things in my brain. So I would think about the color green because it's a safe color. Um, and it would stop that firing of that. Oh my God, I need to run away from this situation and, and freak out sort of response. So then on the way back, yeah, I, I went on the plane. I was with my mom and my partner and my fiance. So they were super supportive having those support networks and did the plane, did the flight without any value, and I was so proud of myself. That's impressive. Yeah. yeah. See, and, and I guess that can bring us into another thing, mental toughness. Mm. And to one of the really good ways to create mental toughness is doing, going, putting yourself in situations that make you uncomfortable Absolutely. and that are hard, yeah. and then forcing yourself to do these things. And now these can be simple things, like waking up early at the same time, sticking to a food schedule, just a little bit of exercise every day. And all these little things over time, you will develop some mental toughness. Absolutely. But on the other end, if you keep, if you keep falling into these patterns, recurring over and over, you will actually create mental weakness. So your brain is, have you heard of neuroplasticity? I have. So you can constantly be creating um, new skills that, you, that your brain... Um, is able to learn and adapt. So it's like if you have a, a stroke, say, you can train your brain because your brain is not, it's not fixed. I like to explain it like roads. 
So you've got highways and then you've got little like side streets. So that's like your brain. It sends messages through the streets, like the little cars driving. And if you have a stroke, say in one of your major highways, you can actually retrain it by like going through a different direction, using those other streets, those new neural pathways to create or to perform that movement or that cognitive skill or whatever it is that you might have lost during that event. So it's actually, it's very interesting. Like your brain is forever learning, forever adapting. Essentially your brain is adaptable. Um, So it's really cool. And I think in terms of mental health, especially for like me and just my personal experience with anxiety, you can definitely change or adapt to your environment, which is really awesome. That is cool. So give us a couple of of examples of things you can do when you start to feel really anxious. Yeah, so grounding techniques I find are really helpful. I guess the first step is accepting that I'm going to be experiencing these uncomfortable feelings and being okay with that. And then grounding. I do some deep breathing, counting to 10. Um, I really like, I know it's very cliche, but identifying what in the environment you can see, hear, feel, smell, touch, because that is a really, really grounding thing. Um, And then sometimes a bit of distraction helps as well. Sometimes um, talking to someone really helps letting them know how I feel because it's almost like you're coming out of your brain. Yeah. Like it's, it feels smaller. So I say to Tim all the time, it feels smaller when I talk about it because in my head, it feels so big. It feels like really overwhelming, but it feels so much smaller when I just talk about it and go, okay, well I'm actually okay. And even having those affirmations that I say out loud, I'm safe. I'm here. I'm okay. Because often this is just me personally, but my anxiety comes from, my thoughts and me getting caught up in my thoughts. Um, like the other day I had this thought, um, so my brother is training to be a, a police officer and I had this thought, am I worried about him? You know, what, what are all the things that could happen to him? How, how could he die? And I stopped myself and I went, okay, Georgia, actually your brother is alive. <laughs> well, he's not in danger. So I am using all this energy worrying about something that might not even happen is that a life that I want to live do I want to invest my time and energy into worrying about things that might not ever even happen Mm, yeah I understand so I guess in a sense it's it's identifying the things that you can control and then in the other hand identifying the things that you can't control yeah absolutely that's actually an activity that I do with some of my kitties who do have anxiety talking about what we can control and what we can't control. This, this, um, feeling of control is actually really interesting and something I've been thinking about a lot recently because us as humans, we like to feel in control because feeling in control gives you a sense of power, gives you a sense of calmness and it feels really good to be in control. We're very egotistical. We are. We definitely are. And I was watching Netflix the other day and I just had it up and, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer came up. Horrific crimes that he committed. But I remember, and we won't get into that, but I I just remember they were talking about it and he had said that during that time 
he felt so in control of his whole world. And it makes you wonder, I mean, obviously there is some really sick, sick mental... Problems. Mental psychotic issues going on there. Like, he needs to be locked away. Um, yeah, I remember thinking that's so interesting that he felt that he was in control of his whole world. It's just a really interesting concept. But there's actually so many things that humans cannot control. So many things. Our whole external environment, we cannot control. And so I feel like us as humans, we crave that feeling of control. We crave to feel in control because it makes us feel good. If we segue a little bit here, I talking about the mental wellness sort of space, I'm really interested to hear from your perspective about chronic pain because from my work that I do as an OT, I know that chronic pain... Um, can sort of hold a lot of space um, in your mental health and really consume your mental health. So I know that you have dealt with chronic pain in your life and I'm interested to know how that has affected your own mental health. I've had chronic pain probably since the beginning of high school. Um, but really? Yeah, I did. But wow. I didn't... Once I hit my 20s, it really sunk in and got worse. Okay. So... Yeah. When I was in high school, I would experience all these pains, like in my you know, lower back and my legs and my body. Um, but to me, it was just, oh, you've been exercising, so, so your muscles are tight. Yeah. Um, and it was. I was doing a lot of different sports and outlets, and that, that was my outlet. That's how I escaped, you know? Um, but there, yeah, once I hit 20, um, my body was almost fully developed, and my, my muscles just started started not working the way they're supposed to work. So when I was younger, I had a brain tumor and that, that was in my cerebellum, which is of course the balance in your brain. So they cut half of that out. So when I was five, I had to learn to walk, talk and just all your motor skills again. Everything was gone. So it took me about 12 months of um, physiotherapy in the pool, um, of learning to walk and use my motor skills again. Um, and eventually it worked. They taught me to walk again. And I remember the first day I ended up walking without my hands. Um, I walked to mum and dad's bedroom. They were sitting on the bed. It was a Sunday morning, which meant pancake day. So I was very excited. Um, I got there. I, I made it all the way to the bed and then fell over. But that was a huge, huge achievement. Yeah. So we had blue pancakes that day. Blue very, pancakes? Yeah, we got the food color. It was my favorite. It still is oh. my favorite color, you know? Um, yeah, so when I got older, um, we discovered that the way that they retrained me to use my body was actually back to front. So uh, to stabilize yourself, you use your core um, and uh, a lot of your, it's called a psoas muscle, which is just, a, just in front of your pelvis, really. Um, but instead, I was using my lats for everything. So they wow. were always on. And eventually, they got a lot bigger than the other muscles yeah, because right. they were all that was being used. So they actually pushed on all those nerves. So I was getting all these nerves firing down, all this pain. Mm. So the last three years I've been back at physio and we've been re retraining my neuro patterns, which is uh, like, it's a bit of a challenge, but at the same time, knowing what's going on and getting to understand it more is definitely helping me move forward. So uh, I guess the last two years, um, I've been able to use my core a lot more um, and it's getting a lot better. 
And the only stage we're up to now is just turning off those two lights, and then we're good. Wow, that seems like a massive process. And I love that you said about those neural pathways because, you know, your body's obviously been going the same way. It's like driving a car. You've been going the same way for so long. Mm. And it's, okay, now I have to train to go this different direction. And that's what you're doing, and it's hard. It is freaking hard to create these new neural pathways in your brain. And so when do you, like, when you have pain that just is persistent just does not go away how does that affect you emotionally um well because i've had it for so long uh i guess a part of me accepts it but then i mean it makes me mad because i'm in pain all the time so it's taking so much energy for myself to control my emotions just to not get angry at the slightest thing and um i think you know i do all right but you know, there's times where I don't and I probably am a bad partner or a bad friend and I snap a little bit, but I'm working on that and it's getting a little better. But I think it's one of those things that I just got to really put in the time. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you are working towards, I guess, being like dealing with it, like living with this chronic pain. But I mean, no one, no one is freaking perfect, right? I can get snappy, especially when I'm anxious or if I'm running late, I get so snappy at my partner. Um, but having that awareness of that and going, okay, this is what I'm like, it's, it is really hard, but you slowly kind of change your behavior patterns. So I'm sort of, this is very different, but I'm sort of going, you know, instead of snapping, I'm saying, I feel angry because I'm running late and that makes me feel really nervous and embarrassed because I don't want to be late. I hate being late. And how do you feel addressing it? Do you think it helps you that you're addressing it? Absolutely. I mean, it helps me just verbalizing that out loud. Like I'm feeling frustrated because I'm going to be late and we're meeting a a person that I want to impress because I'm such a freaking people pleaser. <laughs> I don't want to be late. I was even nervous about being late today. Like, I'm like, oh my goodness. I said I would be there in 15 minutes. I'm late to everything. Like, I'm just a, a chronic late person. I swear to God, like, <laughs> if I tell you I'm going to be somewhere, add at least 10, 15 minutes onto that time. Don't worry, my partner's exactly the same. So I make sure I tell her that dinner always starts 15 minutes before it actually does, which is fine. You know, that's, that's what we've worked out. I wrote down a list recently about what I do every day for my own mental health. It's like to keep um, keep on top of my own mental health so that it, it's, it's like self-care, daily self-care, right? It's so important. And music was definitely one for me. Um, so I'm putting on the spot here, but what are things, like if you really think about it, what are things that you do every day for your own mental health? That's a good question. I'll tell you mine first because I've, I've clearly had time to think about this and I haven't answered this question beforehand. But for me, it's music. For me, it's alone time. I, like, when I get home from work, I tell my partner, I'm like, I actually just need time to myself to just sit, process everything that's happened, and and then we can kind of have a chat. We don't usually chat about our day because it just doesn't work for us. So that alone time for me, um, connecting with someone that I love, connecting on, um, like, giving my nana a call or giving someone a call or I mean most of the time it's sitting down with Tim and just connecting with him in that way 
And then it's probably um, doing some deep breathing, giving my brain a rest. I find meditation, it's not something that I do every day because that is really hard to do every day. Um, But it's definitely meditation has been a really, really key thing for me to support me to work through and maintain my own mental health. I remember I had a job interview a few months ago for a really important job with the Queensland government. And it was, it was hard. I had to answer these case study questions and I did a meditation beforehand and it, it was so helpful. And I'm telling you, I went into this interview and I absolutely crushed this interview and I felt so calm and collected. And at that time I had a lot of things going on in my personal life. I felt really overwhelmed Tim was there and I was like, I'm I'm about to break down and have a cry like 15 minutes before. And I was like, I need to just stop and calm my brain. And like I went in and just thought about that meeting and the interview questions. And it was really, really good. Mm, Yeah, no, I feel that. Um, So I guess some of my day-to-day things is, um, well, music, of course, for one. I find that I get a lot of my alone time to myself in the car when I'm driving to and from work. And because I do such a long drive to work, like it's normally an hour each way. Um, Whoa, yeah. that's insane. A lot of Gold Coast and Sunny Coast work, but you know. Anyway, so I think that's my alone time. And rather than just, you know, commuting to work, either in the traffic, sitting there thinking, man, I'm going to have a shit day. I don't do that. I listen to a podcast. I'll put my music on and I'll just enjoy my me time. And I'll think about things that I want to think about that I enjoy not think about work, and not think about problems. Just things that I like and that I can enjoy. And then on the way home, if I'm not listening to another podcast, that's when I do most of my phone calls. So I'll call my my parents, my grandparents. I call my nan every week, and we have a great conversation. It's fantastic. That's nice. And yeah, so I think the next challenge for myself will be finding an outlet that's less physical, until I can dive back into that world. Nice. So is that our weekly wellness tip? Finding out what are the things that you do every day to support and to maintain your own mental health. Really, really think about it because it is super powerful to make conscious time and effort for your own mental health. And... Our mental health is so, so important to everything that we do every day. So I wanted to end this podcast by saying that if you or anyone you know is going through a hard time, reach out to Lifeline. Their number is 13 11 14. Reach out to them. Have a chat to um, a professional. Reach out to your friends and family. And thank you for tuning in to Wit and Wellness. Yeah, guys, have a great day.